Poso maoni work, my wan and kitan any more, a yoski pietaya, posnotaman, a yum, MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya, posnapi notaman, and a hisakimaka, a yoso matnamine hokihi. Welcome to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. We are your host, Gary Dodge. And Sheena Wapus. And as usual, we are joined by Von Bowles. I'm going to stop calling him a guest. Um, and he is the public information officer for the Incident Command Center for the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. And as usual, he's here to answer some of our COVID-19 questions. Uh, we would like to remind people that we request that you send in any COVID-19 related questions uh, to us via email at podcast.mitw.org. All right, so uh, Vaughn, I seen that um, you had sent out the incident command um, phase two reopening. Can you discuss that a little bit? Yeah, so because there's been a downward trend in the number of new cases um, here in Wisconsin and especially in the surrounding counties, um, as well as on the reservation, um, the tribe has decided to move back into a phase two setting where they're going to have 50% of personnel on site and you can go back to the uh, tribal buildings um, by appointment. In addition to that, uh, they've also reopened um, the casino gaming, the you know bars and restaurants can serve food again, and they can also hold um, farmers markets and other community events where food is provided. I guess with businesses reopening... Um the temperature kiosks, are there like regulations on businesses using them? So there aren't regulations like statewide regulations um, for temperature kiosks or temperature checks coming into buildings. Uh, but the tribe wants to promote health by, you know, making sure there are temperature checks at all of its, you know, or its offices and facilities. Uh, and so they've purchased a number of those temperature kiosks. You'll see those around the uh, the, the, the clinics and, you know, the various offices. Um, we have noticed some of them are a little um, little finicky if you're tall. Um, you know, instead of, like, leaning forward, that can actually read, you know, the wrong part of your head and give you an erroneously, erroneously high or low temperature. Um, and so, you know, taller people may have to bend their knees and squat down a little bit and stuff to get a, an accurate reading from the temperature kiosk. But those are being provided... Uh, so that individuals can, you know, check their temperatures as they come in and leave. Um, kind of as, as a, you know, an easy and fast method to make sure that they're not symptomatic for COVID. Okay, and then um, what type of, um, like, vitamins or foods should uh, people be eating to help fight COVID? So I'm, I'm glad the, you know, the community participated this week, they sent in a long list of questions about different types of foods and vitamins and supplements that they should be taking to, to deal with or fight off infection, particularly COVID. Um, it was a really long list. I'm just going to throw it out there. Really appreciate it. Um, but we're probably going to have to break this up into two parts. Um, so today we'll talk about things like water, which sounds silly right off the top because yes, you should be drinking water. Um, and vitamins and some various minerals that uh, that you could be taking. Uh, the first one was someone asked about drinking distilled water. Um, distilled water 
is it's very pure but because of that it's also known as what's called hungry water sometimes um, because what happens is when you boil off the water to to purify it um, it also leaves behind all the mineral contents um, and organic compounds that may be in the water what that does though when you drink it is it can actually on the molecular level bond to various parts of your body it's not great um, and it can increase your urine production and deplete your electrolyte balance. And that eventually throws off your pH balance of your blood. And if it gets extreme, it can kill you. So we don't recommend drinking distilled water. Um, some people distill water and then they add back in various types of mineral drops um, in organic compounds, you know, essentially what they've just boiled out of it. Um, so distilled water, not, not encouraged. Um, something safer that people could drink would be like reverse osmosis water if they want to make sure it's purified. Um, so that that would be the first thing we'd recommend. Uh, someone also asked about vitamin D. So we're going to get really nerdy here for a minute because vitamin D, um, you can we're just going to talk about it really fast. And you can get it from sunlight. Um, you can get it from various foods that promote digestive health. A lot of things um, that promote. Uh, good gut flora and stuff uh, because your your internal bacteria produce a lot of your vitamin D. What vitamin D does for immu your immune system is that it um, it acts as what's called a autocrine response. So what that is that is that is self stimulation. Now an autocrine response can be a good or bad thing. It's really great when it comes to your immune system. Your B cells and your T cells, which are both white blood cell types, have these autocrine receptors for vitamin D. So when vitamin D hits those, it automatically stimulates those to be more active and start scouring your body for infection. So that's why vitamin D is pretty good for your immune system. Um, someone also asked about nitrous oxide. So that is very simple compound. It's, it's one nitrogen, one oxygen um, bound together molecularly. What that does is what's called vasodilation. Um, and that is just the, the walls, the muscular walls of your um, vessels and your, um, uh, yeah, in, in, your, in your circulatory system relax. Uh, it has kind of a short-term effect um, and it's made by um, various uh, macrophages or other types of white blood cells and what they do is uh, they act as viral inhibitors um, you can if you want more nitrous oxide in your in your diet you could eat things like beets or garlic or non-processed meats and leafy greens and those are really good for it um, someone also asked about lactoferrin um, which I honestly had to go look up this one um, it's a iron containing protein that's found in milk tears and saliva um, and it is antibacterial antiviral antifungal and anti-carcinogenic so it's pretty helpful stuff um, they're made by the uh, white blood cells um, and they're made by the neutrophils I'm sorry uh, which make up about half of your white blood cells so they're they're pretty prominent protein that's that's floating around your system Everyone always knows and asks about vitamin C, how much should you get, why is it good for me, things like that. Um, so, funny anecdote, who, who like, Gary, Sheena, between the two of you, who takes vitamin C? Do either of you take vitamin C? I have taken it. I don't like take emergency. it. emergency. 
emergency. Right. Yeah. How much vitamin C was in there? Oh God, I have no clue. Fair. fair. <laughs> the reason I, I have I, no clue. So I actually took part in an experiment one time, and um, the uh, the person conducting the experiment was seeing how much vitamin C your body could actually take. Um, because it's water soluble, it just flushes out of your body and stuff if you have too much of it. Um, and he wanted to see if the kidneys would actually adapt and filter out less of it. And, you know, to a point it does, but once you're once you're taking like 800 to you know 2,400 milligrams of it, your body just can't adapt. What you should be taking is 100 to 200 milligrams per day if you're going to be taking it. So your your urine gets very yellow when you're taking 200 thousand of it or you know a lot of it anyway um so what what that does is vitamin c is an electron donor so it's also an antioxidant because when oxygen gets in the system it likes to take electrons from other cells and molecules um, it's not very kind that way and so this just prevents oxygen from taking cells off necessary um, parts of your body like your cell membranes um, it enhances like I said, the epithelial bar barrier, which is the membrane around all those cells. Um, and that also uh, keeps viruses and bacteria from entering cells in addition to keeping oxygens from, from damaging your cells. Um, it stimulates uh, neutrophils, which are, again, white blood cells, uh, to do something called phagocytosis. And that's where they envelop bacteria and viruses without um, letting the virus or bacteria free float in the cell. And then they release um, various chemicals to digest viruses and bacteria, and they essentially just digest them. It's really interesting that way. Um, they also stimulate uh, something called apoptosis, which is uh, a programmed type of cell death. And that's the body's way of clearing out cells that have been damaged by either viruses or if you like cut yourself or scrape yourself. Um, it just removes all of that. Um, and it can stimulate the production of B cells and T cells, which is great for us. Anyone ever taken zinc? Gary, Sheena. Have you guys taken zinc before? Not specifically, like probably in like a um, multivitamin, but not just zinc on Gary? its own. No. My dad swore by this. And <laughs> he's like, you should suck on zinc. Anytime we got a sore throat or anything, he's like, suck on zinc. Well, it, it tastes like chewing on a penny. I'm just going to throw it out there. So if you can just take it in a pill form and swallow it, I would do that. More power to you that way. So it's, it's another antioxidizer. Um, it stabilizes the cell membrane and stuff, kind of like vitamin C, um, but it promotes the the stimulation and the production of something called a natural killer cell. Um, it's probably the coolest named cell in the body. It's a white blood cell that roams around and finds cells that have been infected with viruses, and it does exactly what it says. It kills them. Um, and then it you know has the other neutrophils come in and remove the dead cell. Um, they also promote... Um, cytokine production, and those are proteins released by um, the immune system uh, that help identify and trigger responses farther down in the body. Uh, vitamin E was also a topic that came up, and it modulates your immune function. Um, most people won't have any sort of deficiency with vitamin E. It's pretty uncommon to find something like that. Um, but uh, if you do take additional vitamin C, it helps um, reduce the risk of infection, particularly in, in elderly patients is what they found, um, because it also strengthens like those T cell membranes and it helps you um, in what's called signal transduction. 
and those are the the messages the relays that are sent throughout the body um, for where the immune system is needed most and so it just helps promote the you know the message transmission of how you should how and where you should get those immune cells um, someone asked me about magnesium this week as well um, this is flammable. I'm just going to throw it out there. I really think magnesium is interesting. Um, but in addition to being flammable on the outside, um, it helps with what's called the innate immune system population. And so it just helps you create more white blood cells. Um, they don't know a ton about how it stimulates the immune system, but they do know it does help. Um, kind of similarly, uh, Potassium is also another uh, material that's, that's under investigation right now, um, but they found that it stimulates uh, lymphocyte, white blood cells, uh, proliferation or creation. Um, and one other item that was asked about was green tea. And um, there are various compounds in green tea um, that stimulate T cell production and activation as well as proliferation. Um, the only downside to that, unlike the vitamins, is that uh, the caffeine that is usually associated with the green tea um, raises your blood pressure and is addictive. So if you're going to try to activate and stimulate your immune system, um, I'm not a doctor, not a nutritionist, but I'd say go the vitamin route before you go the green tea route. So there's that. Um, so this week we're also sent in some questions uh regarding like rumors about COVID-19 maybe like what some people would call conspiracies um All right. can you talk a little bit about that <laughs> sure sure um can you mention what some of those might be um something about because I know that it was in the news this week that Russia has a vaccine apparently I, I did see the article about Russian working on a vaccine and, and them being close to it. Um, I, I don't know if the tribe is going to engage a somewhat hostile foreign government to obtain, you know, copies of this vaccine for the people. Um, I do know the United States, along with some of its allies like Great Britain and, and Israel, are both very close to having um, viable vaccines that they use for the general public. I know um, the Oxford vaccine that uh, has been going on over in the UK is in its its last phase of trials, which is a large uh, stage human trial. Um, and so they'll have the results from, I believe it's 30,000 volunteers once that part of their study is, is completed. Um, but as far as working with Russia, I don't think that's something we'll be doing anytime soon. Um, and then we were we were also sent this quote. Um, they will create the virus themselves and they will sell the antidotes afterwards, pretending to take their time to find the solution when they already have it. And that was by Momar Gaddafi. Um, can you speak to that? Sure. So let's look at history a little bit. Momar Gaddafi, one, has been dead for approximately eight years. <laughs> And two, while he was alive, was kind of a despot that was a dictator over the country of Libya for about 40 years until his people overthrew him. Um, that said, the coronavirus wasn't made by the United States government. 
Um, I've actually talked to friends of mine that um, are in several well-respected universities um, doing research on it. I've also talked to friends of mine because um, I have a strange past, so I have a lot of connections with the military. Several of them have top secret clearance and stuff. Um, and they're, they're certain it's not a U.S.-based virus. Um, it's not something that, you know, we created here. Um, and they've actually done what are called phylogenetic trees on the virus. And what that is, is essentially, it's like a family tree, only it traces um, the evolution of a organism. With a virus, it traces mutations. Um, and they can confirm that the SARS-CoV-2 or the coronavirus-19, whatever you'd like to call it, um, originated in Wuhan, China, uh, and that, you know, there are, they cannot confirm or deny at this point um, that it is from a specific biotech lab there. So whether or not it was an intentional thing that got released into the world or an accident, um, I can't say, but I can say that's where it is, it is officially from. And they, they have, um, they've documented that very well and multiple countries have confirmed that. So that's what I can say about those things. And I hope that so, sets aside any rumors. <laughs> so is that kind of discrediting the bat theory that was originally thought as the origin for this? So yes and yes and no. So um, they do think that the, the COVID virus um, may have been zoonotic in origin but they don't know if it's been through what are called biological reactors. Um, those aren't the official names. They use those a lot with bacteria, but you can, you can essentially do the same type of thing with a virus where you propagate, you know, a virus or bacteria over and over and over, and you see what kind of mutations um, it can pick up kind of on its own um, because it's, it's a lot easier to do that than it is like genetic splicing. That's pretty complicated and you need a lot of, of, you know, sophisticated equipment for that. Um, but propagating a virus in a pseudo natural environment is pretty easy. Um, so whether or not it was zoonotic in origin or, you know, from some other source, we don't know. It could have been run through one of those types of, of situations where they, you know, produced billions of copies of the virus. Um, so I can't say, you know, this was a nefarious plot or not. Um, only where it came from. Okay. Well, thank you for the, all that information, Vaughn. Yeah, you're welcome. I uh, hope it helped. And I hope everyone feels a little bit better about the situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Waiwanan for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.gov under the community tab and keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcasts. We do weekly updates with Vaughn and we do welcome any community questions or topic suggestions that you have regarding COVID-19. So please send those to us via email at podcast.mitw.org.